nine o'clock. Hi, welcome to In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor, where we talk about millennials and this crazy world they're adulting into. Hey guys, welcome to episode 15, where I interview Jenny Wilder. Jenny is a lot of fun, and we actually ended up talking about her young adult college experience, and then a detour to Outward Bound and where that took her, which wasn't actually really what I thought we would talk about, but it was really interesting and I think really applicable for young millennials. Uh, Jenny used to be an educational consultant, and she left consulting to start a website called All Kinds of Therapy, a place for families to seek out therapeutic resources. And we talk a lot about, you know, online stuff for millennials. We talk about social media. Just we're all over the place in this one in a really fun way. I enjoyed it. Jenny's got a great personality, and she's a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoy it as well, and thanks for joining, you guys. Jenny, welcome to In the Trenches. How how you doing today? I'm pretty good. I've got my emotional support dog next to me, so as I get anxious, I'm gonna be scratching some ears. Yeah, these interviews can be really <laughs> scary. I'm I'm a really mean. <laughs> I'm really mean on on my interviewees. I can be brutal. You know, it's it's just my own anxiety, Andrew. I know you're a kind and gentle person. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I never get anxious or nervous when I'm interviewing people, right? <laughs> it just comes so easily to you. Oh, it just flows naturally. I'm totally not out of my comfort zone. If, in fact, if you listen to my first interview, uh, not my first interview, my very first podcast, I, I start by saying I am extremely out of my comfort zone with this podcast. I get more and more comfortable every time, but, you know, it, it, it ups the, uh, you know, it's challenging to get on and talk and say the right things and be eloquent and all those things and knowing that your friends and neighbors may listen to you sound like an idiot <laughs> eternally <laughs> eternally on the internet i know the judgment that you that you put on yourself it's hard and then the others the judgment of others that you assume is happening yeah exactly well, I I actually so with you I want to start out by by saying in you know you started out as an educational consultant, but you you quit that and started this website all kinds of therapy. What inspired that decision? That's that's a great question. <laughs> so I ask I have a four. I know you're stellar that way. I have a four-year-old and right after she was born, uh, about six to eight weeks, I was holding her in one hand and my cell phone in the other because this is what happens when you're a consultant. And one of my clients ran out of a treatment center and got hit by a car. And uh, that was the aha moment that you have as a parent of, hey, I don't think I can do this anymore. I've got this little vessel on one side and my cell phone in the other. And luckily, my client ended up being okay, but I shifted gears at that moment and said I wanted to get away from placing uh, teens and young adults in treatment and focus on creating something where it wasn't emergency-driven, and that was all kinds of therapy because I wanted a website like this when I was a consultant so that had the facts and, and drove people there. What's your goal with the website? What is, I, I mean, I don't want to use the word mission, but what's the yeah? What's the idea behind I it? I wrote up a mission. I'm sure I have. I'm sure I have that mission statement somewhere uh, in my Google Drive. My goal is to demystify the process and beg more questions than I answer through facts rather than nuance. Because a good therapeutic consultant is going to really walk a family and/or a young adult through a process and really drill down into through their own assessment of what the student needs in whatever setting and whatever level of care. And my goal is to kind of demystify what that is um, and ask, beg more questions than I answer. And what I mean by that is each of my advertising partners has to answer 
a lot of questions. And so by having those questions that they have to answer, and they range from what's your staff to student ratio, what's your, are your therapists licensed or unlicensed? Because there are a lot of treatment centers out there that have huge, larger staff to student ratio and don't have licensed therapists. And what is an accreditation? And is that program accredited? Now, full disclosure, you guys are my advertising partner, uh, one of my partners. But my goal really is to kind of put more information out there than you would expect and be able to compare the program side by side, the facts, like we do computers, cars, you name it. Um, and we might as well do it with treatment. And what I'm finding is that many of the young adults who are out there I've had over 3,000 sessions in the first nine months of the year from 18 to 24-year-olds. And several of my advertising partners have reported to me that they've gotten calls from young adults who are finding their program through all kinds of therapy. Um, and they're asking their own questions and they're finding their own treatment, which I find fascinating. It wasn't my initial customer base that I was going after. I was really aimed towards the parents. It's silly me for not thinking that any uh, young adult looking looking for what they need wouldn't start on the web uh, or their phone <laughs> to do so. I haven't broken down those analytics to see if they actually are starting on the phone, the 18 to 24-year-olds, which I wouldn't be surprised if they were um, because most search starts there. But, I, you know, I'm just kind of amazed at young people and the power, they're thinking about it probably long before they've told their family that they, they want something or need it. Why is that shift so shocking for you? I mean, I think I know the answer because, you know, traditionally in, in this field, we were, you know, educational concerns work with a lot of adolescents. But yeah. I don't want to, I don't, maybe I'm leading you to, to the answer. No, 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 no. I think, I mean, I think in my own practice, I didn't work with as many uh, young adults in my own 10 plus years of consulting, about 10 years, how long do I do that? Anyway, um, I, you know, so my focus wasn't in that way, but I also created a website with kind of a look and feel that doesn't look like other directories out there. By design, I didn't want a bunch of gender specific, uh, look and feel white kids, you know, the stock photo thing. Like I have cartoonish characters and so it doesn't look like other places. And I wasn't thinking about them and that was silly, but that was probably based on my own experience and my own bias. And we all bring our own biases to the table. And also just knowing, I mean, these young people are raised on the web. Um, you know, I, started working in technology in the 90s. I like to say web 1.0. So I kind of feel like I was raised on the web, but many people in my own generation, which I think you're part of, right? Generation X. Yeah. Like they didn't yeah. come into it well until their 20s. Um, and so, you know, there aren't as many people who, the, the concept of going to the web first is huge now. Something like 64% of searches start on the web. I mean, start on mobile devices, but but the idea of starting to look for treatment, like you know, it's it's a harder thing for I think our industry to wrap our heads around. I mean, as as recently as five years ago, there were therapeutic programs that were sending out brochures to every family. Um, you know, that's that's a bygone era. Sorry, U.S. Postal Service, but um. <laughs> But it's, you know, there are young adults I keep hearing from consultants and professionals that will be, that the young adults, you know, if a consultant's bringing a, a, per, a kiddo to look at a website and they see the website and they say, no F-bomb way, that place is, has a ridiculous website, that's their first look. Well, I remember going to visit colleges and walking onto a particular college campus in New Hampshire and looking at my father and going, we're out of here. And he was like, what? We, we just got here. And I'm like, see those soccer players over there? They don't look anything like me. I'm out of here. And, you know, kicking and screaming through the next two and a half hours. But 
that's my version of what they experience on the web. Like if they're, if they're not seeing their people and or connected, then it's not going to happen. So whether that's all kinds of therapy or a treatment programs website, like you got to relate to these people because that's, that's where it's happening. So Millennials, that's my take on it. They know, my, my experience is they know they get a really quick sense and it's, it's an intuitiveness. It's nuanced. Yeah. Whether you get them or you don't. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's, right. it could be, it could be homepage of the website. You get me or you don't. And admittedly, right. admittedly, two years ago, we had a terrible website, a decent website, but outdated. And one day I was sitting with a group of our clients and I said, hey, what do you guys think of our website? Two of them raised their hand and said, I almost didn't come because your website was outdated. Yeah, I tell programs that all the time. Show your clients your programs if you're an 18 plus program. Like tell them, hear what they have to say. They're your customer. Forget the parents. The parents are going to read the content. They're going to read bios. They're going to see where the therapist went to school and where the staff went to school. Your clients don't care about that. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's great that you opened yourself up to that. I think that, I mean, I tell programs that all the time. Don't, don't ask me what I think of your website. Ask your clients. Yeah. They have more of an opinion. They're, they're your experts. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think kind of going back to, you know, what we were talking about a minute ago, traditionally in this field, it, it's been largely adolescents served and adolescents that don't have a choice yeah. to go to a program, right? It's, it's yeah. crisis mode, crisis mode. And there's critics of that, but, it, but if you're a family that's been in this situation, you'll, you'll understand, you know, hopefully you're never in this situation, but if you are, you understand why it has to be that way. But now we're hitting a new level. And where young adults over the age of 18 that don't have to go anywhere are saying, I choose to go and check myself into a wilderness therapy program, which is hard. And totally hard. quite honestly, when we opened our program, we're the only all young adult wilderness program that I'm aware of. And we weren't sure. We were like, are they, are we going to get, you know, like, is this going to work? Are we going to get people that choose to get on a plane? and fly to Costa Rica to step into a program which takes guts. And for people that are already anxious and depressed and scared. Um, and that's what I find fascinating about your statistic that you're seeing young adults actually seeking it out. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I asked my SEO guy to kind of dig into some of the analytics recently. And it was uh, most of the, of the 18 to 24 year olds actually are female looking wow so it's like a two two to one female to male which in some ways doesn't surprise me right i mean i know myself as a woman i'll plow through web pages uh i still fancy myself younger than i actually am but (laughs) (laughs) in terms of some of my behaviors but i think but I think that's an important one for for any program to think about is like not only are these young adults doing it, but the, there are more young women doing this. And what does that say about who we're not serving? Because a lot of these programs don't serve young women uh, or the girls kind of, you know, they're, they're a tougher nut to crack. Um, I know I was in my 20s. Well, well, deviant little bugger with a big smile on my face the whole time (laughs) a lot of our (laughs) but a lot of our outcomes research jenny is showing that girls statistically report higher better outcomes like males and females report good outcome in wilderness and i know wilderness because that's what we do um but girls show more and yeah we we, you know we've kind of gone back and forth on why that is um does that surprise you no, it doesn't totally surprise me because by the time you actually get the girl through the door for treatment, she's pretty darn ready. And I mean, from my own practice, when I was consulting, I definitely saw more girls than um, males 
Um, but I, I, I have to say, I liked working with the men because the boys, because they were so much more direct. The girls, you had to work harder to get through to figure out where they were. Um, it doesn't totally surprise me, but I would, I mean, I'm just, I want more of this research, Andrew. I really think, we're, you know, not just for wilderness, wilderness has done a great job of starting that process and really getting it going. But the, you know, what we're doing with these young adults and what the efficacy is and, and the lifelong, I have a, there's a young woman here in Utah who went to treatment. She's one of my last consultant, consulting clients. She's now elected to stay after her young adult program in Utah is going to school here and she's so bored <laughs> in her in her schooling with she's having trouble finding kids who have more to talk about than like the party scene and so I'm looking I'm trying to help her find some of those people uh through the university setting because these these young people have done so much more work than the average freshman, sophomore, junior. I mean, come on, even a 20-something. Um, the insight that these young people have kind of blows me away. And so on my own website, I'm trying to capture some of that for, to get to these young adults of like what they need, want, and desire. And I'm sure you see that at Pure Life, right? When a, when a young person finishes your program, the energy that they have, um after and where they want to be and who they want to connect with like they know that more than most 18 to 40 year olds <laughs> i totally agree i i tell our clients all the time you know i wish i had gone to a pure life when i was your age because yeah what brings you to these programs is you know pain and anguish and failure but but the tools and the experiences are invaluable. They're learning things I learned in my early 30s or late 20s and right. that I sure wish I'd had at 21. You know, whether they're applying them or not, that's part of growing up, right? I mean, um, <laughs> you know, learning and failing and learning and failing and, and getting better at applying it in your life, hopefully every step of the way. Um, but Yeah. But, and what, Go ahead. There's, there's also... I think it was in when you spoke at Yada. It wasn't a failure. It was like a a successful failure. I forget what the phrase was. I wish I'd actually written it down. But this concept of like some of these, and and this might be the case with some of the girls too, is like they're successful, but they're not. It's not the full success that they're hoping for. Maybe it's you know that there's that they're drinking seven days a week. <laughs> And still doing well academically, like that that incongruency in life um, is a is a tough one too. Um, and so I'm trying to on the blog reach out to some of the young adult programs to have their students interview with me to to talk about some of this stuff with with the young adults who are maybe finishing treatment and or and looking forward to the next steps. Because I was editing a blog this morning with a young person uh, at a program up in Maine who had severe OCD, and now she's you know going to school and has like a several point plan, and I'm so excited reading it because she couldn't get out of bed. That's what she says a year ago. I couldn't you know I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't make a phone call. I was such a perfectionist. Um, yeah, <laughs> you go, kid. <laughs> I wish I had been a perfectionist to any degree, um, but it's so impressive, the growth. So I love this stuff. I did Outward Bound, Andrew. I don't know if you know that about me. I put myself in an Outward Bound program right after freshman year in college. Awesome. Which one did you go to? I said to, I said to my parents, I either need a year of therapy, like I was transferring colleges, or I need to go in an Outward Bound program. I did Colorado. I did three weeks of rafting. Uh, my parents were like, let's start with Outward Bound, see where it goes. <laughs> but the reality was I was boozing seven days a week and almost getting straight A's. And that was that incongruency. I was like, this isn't right. You know, two packs a day, food delivered right to my dorm room. And how am I doing so well in school? I was never that kid. And, you know, kind of understanding that I needed something. Like you say, you needed a, you would have benefited from a pure life. Like, I need to get out of here. 
what? get out away from away from what I actually knew. What made you realize that though? Because if you're getting straight A's and boozing seven days a week, most yeah. college freshmen would go, "I got this." You kidding me? I know. Like so, I'm I'm shocked you stepped back and said this is a problem. How like did something instigate that, or was this just pure self awareness? So, well, I think it was. You know, I'm also the kid who couldn't read in fifth grade, and so school was never easy for me. So if I was at a college where I could get straight A's and booze seven days a week, I needed a different setting because school is supposed to be hard and I'm not working hard enough. That was your, that that was your, (laughs) was that your mental model? That was what your mental model was? That was the reality school. School. I I was like, this can't be what college is supposed to be. I know that there's boozing, um, but not to this degree. And I'm not, I'm not struggling enough academically. So this camp, I could not have picked the right school because I am supposed to be knee deep in pain and suffering academically, which is crazy, right? I was actually doing well. But I also recognized that I was at a school that didn't also align with some of my core beliefs. Uh, Let's just say it was the southern, south of the Mason-Dixon line school that I had fraternities and sororities, and I didn't do well with that kind of gender specific. There was a bar you had to ring a doorbell to get into because they wouldn't let black people in. This did not align with who I was. <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah, so there were a lot of different things, but primarily, I mean, I grew up in Washington, D.C., where everyone has at least a master's degree. So I, you know, the expectation without anyone ever saying it to me was you'll have a master's. I mean, I literally, the day I finished my master's degree, my aunt looked at me and says, and now is next is the PhD. And I looked at her and I said, uh, no, let's just celebrate this moment. It's a miracle. I'm here today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is interesting because I think, I think sometimes, you know, when I give my millennial presentation and I start talking, talking to people they they people get really like uppity with me about well no millennials start in 1984 not not 1985 yeah you know? or gen x ends right there as well and and like so you're one or the other kind of like it's a you're a taurus or you're an aries like give me you know whatever it we're kind of missing the point because what you're describing to me is you had a very yeah. millennial college experience and I kind of did too. Like we're late Gen Xers. You and I are around the same age. Right. And so the more I study about millennials, well, you could argue that we're exennials, which people have said there's a micro generation, late Gen X, early millennial, that we sort of fit into this category. And But what you're describing to me is exactly what a lot of these millennials are saying. The pressure of, did I pick the right school? Um, the school is incongruent with my values. I'm killing it in school and partying. There's no way I'm in the right place. What if this goes all wrong? Wow. Yeah, totally. It was a shock to me too. And to my parents' credit, when I sobered up after freshman orientation and said, I need to transfer colleges, I've chosen the wrong place. Their response promptly was, you and your brother are deposited in college. You know the college consultant's number, reach out and fix it. Now that, yeah, that was a very expensive phone call. <laughs> yes, yes, that was a very expensive phone call. I had to pay my own, you know, long distance then. So I, uh, yeah, yeah. So and so to my parents' credit, they made me figure it out, and um, that was a pretty powerful experience um, to go through, and <laughs> probably, and I think probably ended up in the right college after that. Uh, with a little bit of guidance from my parents, but not too much. <laughs> a lot of overnight FedEx applications because, you know, you couldn't submit things on the web then. <laughs> so how did you pick the right college after that? Or is there such thing as the right college? Because I don't believe I don't, necessarily. Uh, I don't. But, yeah. but there's a better fit. How did that? How did that happen? Well, so because I grew up in this crazy academic intellectual the first six years of my life were spent at Yale University so needless to say and I was never going to be 
uh, Ivy League material due to my test scores uh, and massive dyslexia and ADHD. But in the end of the day, I grew up in a family that that really valued education above anything else. Oh, you want a car? Well, that's not going to happen. We're going to pay for private school instead. Gotcha. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that concept of kind of finding the right school, and then I got my chip on the shoulder of, well, my family's connected to every school in the country, and by the country, I mean the East Coast. <laughs> was, I was not allowed to go, yeah, I was not allowed to go to the west of the Mississippi. And now you um, live in Utah. Now you're out in Utah. I with know. All, with all those yeah, country bumpers, right? Yeah, and, and at the age of 21 or 22, moved to California promptly. I was like, well, now I can really individuate the way I wanted to. Um, but but I think I, you know, so I had a chip on my shoulder about my family. So my parents actually, to their credit, didn't tell me that my grandfather had a connection to the school that I ended up choosing. But it was a former women's college that was transitioning to co-ed. It was a division three school, so I could play sports again, which I realized I heavily needed to self-medicate the ADHD in a healthy way uh, and structure. <laughs> yeah. Give some structure to me. At least, you know, one semester a year, I'd get really good grades. And, you know, so those kind of things. But I think it was like New England. I needed a brick wall. I needed liberal I needed people talking about progressive ideas. I needed to be able to have discourse and learn from my peers. And at my previous school, I didn't, I, even though there were freshman classes and seminars, it was still a relatively small school, but I didn't feel like the women were speaking up. And I, you know, I grew up in Washington where everyone has an opinion and they speak up yeah. <laughs> about it. Um, so I think, you know, it was, you know, I knew I needed a small school. I knew I needed to be in uh, a place where I had a voice. And that came from uh, the private school that I went to for high school after eight years of hiding in public school, which I was fantastic at, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, you know, I ended up working for my high school soccer coach as a consultant. So here we go. Life is about relationships. And I learned, I started learning that really freshman year in high school. Freshman year in college, you mean? I mean, no, freshman year in high school, I started to learn that those small environments really make a difference in terms of people wanting to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And then by, co and then my second year of college and forward, I knew like, this is really what I need. I need to be in these small environments where they Call on me because that also makes me do my reading homework. <laughs> yeah. You got to do your reading to show up in a, you know, 15-person classroom. Got to show up. Got to be in class. Yeah. You know, these little natural, the natural consequences of a small school, they're not always good, but they definitely keep you focused. Yeah. I love, can I just say I love that it was a mess? Like, that's, oh, yeah. that's, that's one thing I really believe in for these young adults. This idea that you figure out what you want to do and you pick it and you follow this straight path is ridiculous. And I think it's what causes a lot of anxiety and creates a lot of pressure that the choice has to be perfect. And you're a great example of someone who is a functioning and successful and highly respected adult that had a terrible start to college. And there you go. Like Definitely. you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's going to be okay, everybody. I've been accused of being an eternal optimist at times, so that that that's a little bit of that talking. But uh, I want to hear about your outward bound experience. So what what was that like for you? By the way, were you on the were you rafting on the Colorado River? I it was the Green and the Yampa, and it ended at oh boy, word retrieval problems. That place that everyone goes down at the bottom in Utah. Moab? Oh, it'll, no, it's not Moab. It kind of ends and it's Glen, what was the Monkey Ranch Gang where they blow up Glen Canyon Dam so that it floods? Oh, come on. It'll come to me, Andrew. Maybe tomorrow. Not but like Powell. Anyway. Not like Powell, you talking. Yes. Yes. We ended up at Lake Powell. All and right. everyone on Hour Bound was calling it Lake Fowl because we had had these like three, 21 days of pretty much not seeing anything. I think we saw. 
a couple of people along the way, but um, I'm like obsessed with water. I'm a person who needs water. And so being in a landlocked state kind of difficult for me at times. But one of the reasons I wanted to do rafting was the 21 days. I knew I needed 21 days of unpluggedness, not just for my drinking, but my smoking and running every morning. And my solo was life-changing. And, but also being on the water and a totally different kind of water than I'd ever, you know, I'm a saltwater person. And so washing yourself in muddy water and, oh, that was just magnificent. So it was, we followed the John Wesley Powell trip. Gotcha. Did you go through Desolation Canyon on the green? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I guided there. That's where I was a river guide in college. So uh, that's that's my, yeah. Anyway, I sure I don't. Yeah. yeah, I love that that part of the country and the world, and I can see why that was a powerful experience for you. So what? So you know, tell us about your solo. And that was, I well, and when I flew in to do my course, I had never been. I mean, I'd flown to California before, and I'd been out of the country. But I had never been around all the mountains. And I remember looking out of the plane going, oh, this is why all my friends, siblings are going to college out west and never coming home. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. These are real mountains. Um, I think the thing about my solo that, like, you know, it was the quiet time and me learning how to be in my own mind and be quiet. Will you, and for, not, actually, will, you not talk. People, will you tell people what a solo is and oh, yeah, yeah, explain yeah. it and then go into it? Well, yeah, so my experience with a solo, and I think they vary, you know, hour bound to hour bound or nulls to nulls or whatever it is, is they, they brought with some water and some food for 48 hours, and we had to pick our little spot. And you couldn't see, I couldn't see, I, I think other of my... Uh, friends on the trip could see other people, but I couldn't see anyone from my group for 48 hours. Now, if there was a problem, they knew where we were. And I am convinced that our instructors were stoned out of their mind during that 48 hour period, but that's probably because I was one of the older people in the group, so I could see the signs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, we had a notebook, I had a pencil, I had some food. I was like organizing, you know, raisins versus M&M <laughs> for, for a few hours there. I remember it was a full, full moon um, right after the 4th of July, and it just blew my mind. I couldn't sleep at night because the moon was so bright. Can someone turn out that beautiful light? I mean, these are the conversations that I still remember having in my mind. Um, and the notes that I took and the things that I thought about, I've, I recently found that uh, outward bound book that I took notes on during that time but it's really a quiet time it's a reflection time it's and it's something I never thought I could do I'm a complete extrovert you remember I was a booze bag mm-hmm. at that time so I was around people all the time um, and so it was it was life-changing and it come you know my husband jokes with me he's like oh you just need to go out for a little hike right now and calm calm down what's going on in your head and he's he's generally right like that ability to just kind of just me go out and just even if it's a couple of hours of a hike or just sitting still and finding a spot that's calming to me to this day I think that's a that's a little piece of me that I got from Outward Bound that I didn't expect to get for sure yeah how do you, I mean, have you done a solo before, Andrew? I have, I have not done a true solo. I have, you could argue that, um, that I did some solo time eight years ago when I was living down here in Costa Rica trying to start a rafting company. <laughs> um, and, you know, <laughs> things weren't quite clicking for the rafting company and I was stuck up on a mountain alone for days on end. Um, which was actually a really, you know, a profound time for me. I, I was reading some life-changing books at that time, Four Hour Work Week, Tim Ferriss's book. We've oh, talked, yeah. We've talked about Tim. 
Um, yeah. You know, I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I wrote, I wrote down some of my greatest fear. Like, you know, I, I'm kind of like a read a book, take notes, write in my journal kind of guy. And, you know, so it wasn't a formal solo, but it was life changing. And so yeah. I look at that time as a sacred time of my young adult life because um, I kind of walked out of that experience different and changed. And I always refer back to that time when I had kind of some aha moments about not just my life, but life in general. And something about the isolation yeah. and the boredom of it all was crucial. Yeah. And I mean, what I would have done for a book, let's just start there. But, um, <laughs> but for me, <laughs> but for me, I think that time of like, you know, letting yourself wander, my brother did an outward bound too. He is a much better writer than myself. And, and his journal is so funny. It's got so much funny, creative writing about the animals that were, he was on an island in Maine, watching squirrels and chipmunks and um, and, you know, just allowing yourself, I think about where my mind was able to wander because it was totally unplugged before I knew it needed to be unplugged. Right. I think also my outward bound experience allowed me like, uh, hey, you can shift gears and try something totally outside of your comfort zone and get dropped into a group of people who you have no idea um, and it, we had an interesting group because I was 19. There was another 19-year-old woman. And then pretty much everyone else was like 15, 16. And then there was one guy who was in his late 30s. So it's like huge spectrum of people. Um, and he was, I think, unplugging from whatever career he was in. Um, but like it, it taught me like, hey, you can handle stuff whatever stuff is which probably led to me packing up and moving to San Francisco a few years later like okay I'll live on my feet I'll figure this out um you very much had a wilderness type of experience that a lot of our clients have right yeah totally like a mini one I mean I like just I used to tell my clients like I did I made this choice um not everyone knows how to make the choice Sometimes you just need a little bit more facilitation. Um, and I think, you know, with adolescence, it's even harder to see because you're younger and leaving the party is a little bit harder, whatever the party might be, the party in your mind, the party with your friends, <laughs> the party sneaking out. FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, man. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't miss, I, I am so glad that social media does not exist right now for me when I was in college. Oh, like, I totally, I mean, it's, it. an, it's enough that I know that there are pictures out there that I never want shown, but there weren't, there aren't pictures of every minute of a terrible, of an evening that went terribly wrong out there minute by minute. I just, uh, an incident just happened at my college where some young women really stupidly uh, racist, you know, put on blackface pretending to be, I won't even go into the details. I'm, it's nails on a chalkboard to me. But, and then I go to Twitter to kind of see what's being said. And, oh, there's the young woman in her, natural picture and just opposed with the picture of her being an idiot and oh it's been shared like 2,000 times oh. I just think like not only have you made an incredibly stupid racist decision and you need to learn about that you're kind of screwed for a long time when someone searches for your name like the repercussions of these digital tattoos like I'm so glad I social media didn't exist for me. It was bad enough that I know that there are emails out there that I never want resurfaced. <laughs> right. No, it's it's true. Your life, you know, and I think I think that's important for parents to know right now. Like they they should be sitting down with their kids because 
adolescence is all about doing stupid stuff, <laughs> right? Like you, your, your, your brain isn't fully developed and you just don't think consequences. You just don't. I mean, I remember specifically for me growing up skiing, um, when I was 15, we were doing some really fun and ridiculously dangerous stuff on skis. And I'll, I'll like, I'll never forget the day that started oh. changing. I was like 18, 19. And I'm like, don't think I'm going to go off that cliff today. I could hurt my knee. It could ruin my next week. I have some plans that I'm excited about. <laughs> like, and I can, I could tell when my brain shifted and started thinking not other than, man, look at that cliff. This is going to be fun. And, <laughs> and, and so like that, but, but when we talk about it digitally, and oh, putting up stupid so stuff online, you know, on the one hand, yeah, you know, 16-year-old, that was really, really stupid. On the other hand, man, you're 16, and heaven forbid these things haunt you for the rest of your life, which that's the reality we're now living in. And I think I have a friend who, who runs a website, and she posted something. There was recently some girls in Utah that did some terrible things. Oh, yeah. Those hor that horrible thing that was on Instagram. Yes, we've had a few of those incidents in Utah. Yes. And they make me sick to my stomach that, A, they're happening. And, and, the, and so anyway, my friend said online, parents, sit down and tell your kids. When, when your friends start doing something stupid in a camera, first of all, when your friends do something stupid, leave. You know, don't participate. And if a camera comes out, get out of the car. Pull over. What Like... It doesn't matter if you're even doing it, but you're going to get... You are, you're associated with it. Yeah. And in, and in, the, case of, in, in the case of my alma mater, this is the entire women's soccer team just got told, you're not participating in the conference championship game. You're out. You're oh, out. You're now forfeited. And then I was looking at all... And I played soccer at this college. Like, A, I'm feeling incredible shame for my alma mater. And I'm like looking around at the pictures because, of course, I had to stay up obsessing over this. Of like, there are women of color on this team. Like, how are those women feeling when these when these other players? And they're you know over 18 years old. Like, we consider an 18 year old an adult. I mean, I don't know what the school's going to end up doing. They're still investigating, but there's some serious repercussions coming down the pike and regardless if you search for this young woman's name on google if you're trying to hire them guess what's going to come up yeah oh yeah the 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 consequences are severe and uh, and not understanding I, and it's a lack of empathy too, like that, that instagram with here in utah with the young women saying racist things what was interesting is it ended up getting shared by one of their friends. Yeah. So it's like the friend, it was the friend saying, I can't believe these are people that I called friends like yeah. doing this racist thing. Yeah. Uh, it's just, anyway, we've, we've derailed the conversation. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's relevant. No, I think it's a very relevant conversation. Um, what, how did we get here? I'm trying to backtrack. We were talking about oh. the wilderness and we ended up here, but, um, anyway, I, I actually wanted to go to, um, you sent me a, an interview with Whitney Wolf from Bumble and, oh, yeah. and it was a great, it was a great podcast interview. Um, not as good as if I had interviewed her, but it was good enough. And of course. Of course. Yeah. And, um, you know, your comment was, and it was kind of based off of my latest presentation at Yada, you were like, look, these, these millennials are really smart and savvy. And you can tell she's really sharp. And we have this sort of stigma right now that this millennial generation is clueless and entitled. But guess what, Gen X uh, and, and uh, baby boomers, they're also really smart and savvy and they know what the hell they're doing. Um, anyway, I don't know. What did you think about that interview and what, what made it stand out to you? Well, I think one thing I'd like to say for the record, being now a Utah resident, 
uh, it surprised me. She's from Utah. <laughs> um, but more I, importantly, I, I take think offense what, to that. What, I, I take offense. No, I just, <laughs> no, I just, I'm very proud of the fact. I can't figure out where she went to high school. I've done, you know, a, a five minute internet stalking of her. I want to know where she went to high school. I want to know more about her as a person. I think it was interesting that, you know, here's this woman who, whatever happened in her previous job, uh, made made a decision to create Bumble out of some something negative that happened. She turned into a positive for females and dating and taking the online dating thing to a whole new level and putting the power in the woman's hands, which having never used the app because I've now been married five years, much to my surprise, <laughs> that's a sidebar. But um, just the idea that she shifted the game, you know, it's a very feminist move of her. Uh, and, you know, I think one thing like uh, millennials get looked down on is that they want to instantly be, you know, the CEO of the company and that you don't have to work. But for this young woman, it was the case. She pulled it together. You know, she graduated from college and her first job was she was working in marketing and and then shifted years away from that for what seems like pretty negative reasons and then shifted into this pretty awesome product and got backed by a guy with lots of money who gave her the keys to the city. I mean, that's a pretty damn cool story. Yeah. Also, as a young woman. Um, well, and I'm, I'm sure there's more to the story that I don't know, but that I mean, just the idea that she took a negative and turned it into a huge positive, you know, like going back to what's going on at my college right now, I, I would like to see how they're, gonna, how this team is going to resurrect itself or the, the college or this young women that made this poor choice, resurrect a negative into a huge positive. It's possible. I think millennials have a chance to do it quicker and easier than most. Well, I, I think it's a cool story because she was she was at Tinder. There are no details around it. We'll never know. But she ends up leaving Tinder. Something shady went down. And um, she ends up becoming, and I didn't really Google much of it, but she ends up becoming basically bullied. Or, you know, she gets a lot of negative attention yeah. on the internet. And she literally said... Like hiding in her room. <laughs> yeah, like. yeah. And she said, here's this thing that she had had immense success early on at. And yet it was the terrible things were being said about her and at a, at a very large scale. Not just within the high school, like at, a, at an international level. Um, she becomes a very high-profile person, and she made a decision at that point on, I can tap out of life in every way, or I can be a part of the change and be a positive change in current society with the internet. I love this story because I think it's a great example of what millennials are going to do with the internet, with technology moving forward. Yeah, totally. a lot of bad that comes with the good. and but I think millennials are going to be a part of finding those really positive solutions. And that's what she did with Bumble. She said, I wanted to do something that would be good for people and putting girls. And she said something about guys too. And I can't remember, but I of course was like, yes, go, go guys. Right. She was like, you know, a lot of guys get a really bad rap and you know, she wanted to create an app for the good guys. Yeah. And, and the idea that the woman, I mean, just from a societal standpoint, women are supposed to sit back and wait for the date to happen to them. And she's, she, I guess she put an expiration time that a woman had to accept, you know, if they let, if she let, I guess it's with Bumble, if a woman says that she likes a man and the man says that he like is interested in her, then there's like a three day period before it, that connection expires which I think is great you put the you put a little fire under the woman in terms of making a choice uh, I love that, <laughs> I love that yeah. aspect of like shifting the dating paradigm I, I have a 15 year old stepdaughter who when I said the word Sadie Hawkins the other day you would have thought <laughs> I was speaking French to her <laughs> <laughs> 
was like, oh, like a Sadie Hawkins dance? She, you know, looked at me like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I love that that piece. Yeah, and I think we're going to see more of that. And I've said this in my presentations. I think millennials are going to be the solution for many of the things that are that for many of the digital challenges that we're facing and we love to say millennials are addicted to their phones i'm i am just as addicted and my wife and i have had this conversation for the last two weeks we are addicted to our phones it's a problem it's not just millennials. and are they going to be part of the solution now i've had two guys not millennials two friends of mine in the last week be like dude i tapped out i got off instagram i got off twitter i got off facebook i tapped out do you think we're going to see a, an anti a movement where we get away from it all and like that becomes a thing almost like hey I quit cigarettes and people are like good do you think we're going to see that I think we're going to see more of the digital detox being a norm um I think that you know I look forward to what the millennials are going to do in terms of fixing what Facebook and Google are you know, currently called onto Capitol Hill to talk about their, you know, the Russian probe. Like, I think that those solutions, you know, Google's initial company slogan, wasn't it not to be evil or something about evil. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think the digital detox, you know, I see professionals doing it in our industry. Like, yeah, I'm going to sign off of Facebook for a while. Thanks. Catch you later. Yeah. Um, so I think the digital detox, having done one last year, I, I went to a place that I had literally, I mean, I, I'm part of the problem. I, uh, I checked in my phone, my iPad and my, and my computer. And eight days later, it came back to me and I was scared to death to turn them on. And as was everyone else who I was with, um, you know, it's like, Oh, I just survived a week without knowing the news, <laughs> without turning on my phone and, and responding to email inquiries or, or text messages right away. I mean, it's coming at us in so many different ways. I look forward to solutions. I would like to have a solution. I see it now with the latest update on the Apple iPhone. Like they've now built in the one so that if you're driving, a text response will go off. I'm like, yes, more of this, please. Yeah. Turn my phone, turn my phone off, and give people an auto responder. Um, but yeah, I think there will be stuff, and I look forward to the solutions because I think what's happening now, there's just too much coming at us at all times. I turned off all my notifications from news. You know, you download an app, and like the news notifications like defaulted on. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't tell me. <laughs> I don't want to know every time someone tells me something in Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn or, you know, I mean, cause I'm all over the place. I even use Google plus. That's how bad I am. There's <laughs> um, <laughs> only like five yeah. of us on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're, so you're one of them. <laughs> yeah. One of the five. Um, what, so in closing, what, what advice do you have for the millennials that are listening out there or their families? Uh, I think listen, investigate. Don't be afraid to make a change, even if it's a really uncomfortable one, both for the parent or family. Um, I think the aha moment is kind of just around the corner. Um, yeah, that's what I think about. Great. Where can people find you? On the internet. All kinds of, all the internets, as we like to say, uh, allkindsoftherapy.com. And yeah, that's me. And when I say we, it's my dog and myself with some, with some contractors. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great website. It's a really good resource. And I Thanks. think, yeah, I, I love what you've done, you know, within the field. I think, um, you know, sitting in on your panel on on the economic impact of residential wilderness programs just in the state of Utah, you know, I think you're you're definitely a voice within our field of leadership 
in you know kind of oh, realizing how important it is what we're doing and and where it's going like i i look to all kinds of therapy to see where we're going you know and oh. i always enjoy our conversations because you you are interested in all this same stuff and and yeah so keep doing what you're doing i'm really i'm really happy with it and you know, I'm excited to see where we're going to go in the next 10 years because there's a lot of help that people need and a lot of resources out there. And I think I just wanted to say one thing that I was looking at, um, your economic impact study, you know, what do you call it? The Like you've got it all laid out nicely. What do you call it? Again? <laughs> My infographic? Infographic. $19 million in total scholarships um, given. Is that yeah. per year yeah. or is that like? It's a good question. Um, so that was in 2015 from programs in Utah. Yes. And if we do this again, which I'd like to do on a larger scale, I'd like to ask the question of how many, I'd like programs to start to keep track of treatment programs of how much community service is done too. I think that there are um, good things that the industry does, um, but we don't always know them. And so that's why I asked that question about scholarships and discounts, because surprise, you know, I always tell families, you know, if you want to go send your kiddo to wilderness, like think about doing it in the dead of winter, you might be able to get a better deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't send in the middle of summer. Right. Um, not to mention the clinical, the groups are smaller. Anyway, I won't go into that. But I think, yeah, we're an incredibly giving industry and that's just one year, one state you know, this industry is operating in states all over the country. And so if we're operating in 23 counties in Utah, I think it was 23, um, you know, imagine what we're doing elsewhere. Um, yeah. The number of families that we're impacting. Um, it was like 5,000 coming into the state of Utah, which almost every kiddo who comes from out of state into the state of Utah creates almost one job. I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, I, it's beyond not, the work that's being done. Yeah, and I think I think it's just a it's just a field and an industry that's growing and it's getting better every day. I think you know a lot of my interviews, for example, my interview with Will White, who I know you've interviewed as well. You know, he yeah. he really admitted, and you know, I've had I've heard this from a few people in the industry. Man, the stuff we were doing 20 years ago. I, we've really come a long way was kind of his point yeah. and, you know, we've gotten so much better and I would say that we're really in a great place, but in another 10, 20 years, we'll be that much better as an industry. And, you know, I know that on everybody's mind is how can we make it more affordable? Um, but that scholarship number, I was really happy to see because it is costly to cost. It just costs a lot of money to, to, to fund this kind of care. Um, but everybody's very conscious and trying to do our best to to make it available when we can to people that, that we can and so you know, uh, and I think like this the staff to the direct care staff to student ratio I'd love to get an average in the next economic impact study for if, use it more outside of the state of Utah obviously use it with other states because I know I bet in Utah it's probably one to five with direct care staff. I mean, because many of the residential treatments command one to four ratios. So if you're averaging them all, but I'd love to see that because that might help quantify why it is such an expensive proposition. Yeah. And I can tell you with wilderness, um, you need to tap into OVH, by the way, we've got, we've got a lot of great yes, research I know. and, um, or maybe you already have here. I'm telling you what to do. Um, but we've got a lot of great research, and we're we're really pushing hard to get more. We're at one to three in wilderness, and uh, the the law says one to four, but it really comes out to about one to three when it's all said and done. And yeah, that costs. That's why it costs so much, you know. And 
and it's it's intense work. It's very sensitive, delicate work, and you've got to make sure you've got the people there to support and, and make sure that we can maintain a safe environment. So um, I think you'll be a big part of that, and your information well, and drive on that's going to all good information. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate that, Andrew. Yeah. Thanks. You know, in the end, of, in the end of the day, the narrative in my head isn't that. So thanks for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, thanks for having me. Um, appreciate all the all that you're doing, and it's it's really great to get to chat with you. And I think a lot of people will benefit from this conversation. Thanks so much. Have a great day, and thank you. I love the podcast thing. Full disclosure to everyone out there: Andrew and I share podcasts all the time. Um, <laughs> we're addicted. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Thanks all right. so much, Andrew. Have a great day.